All right. Well, I get to speak on apologetics this morning. I believe that, I personally believe that we should speak on apologetics a few times a year uh, because I think it is that important. I don't think that it's foundational in, in terms of what we believe, but I believe it's very healthy for us to, to have a, an account for what we believe. I believe and I, and I hope that, that the sermon will hopefully encourage you that it will empower you to, to testify more in, in, in the ways that, uh, in, in, to show Christianity to people around you. I hope that um, instead of throwing a, 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 my approach today is instead of throwing a bunch of facts at you, uh, I'm going to primarily focus on just addressing the subject matter of, uh, of what apologetics is in general. And my hope is that you will, we will receive a heart to do this effectively, because I think that has been compromised in the church today. As we've taken apologetics and we've sort of distorted it uh, to, to, uh, to what we want it to be instead of what uh, God's plan is, is for this subject. And if you're sitting here and you're wondering, what is apologetics really? Um, apologetics is, by definition, the discipline of defending a position uh, through the systematic use of information. So pretty much just defending your position on something, defending your faith. But before we start, we have to make sure we outline one fact, and that is that God does not need you to defend him. It's like that U2 song from their last album, No Line on the Horizon. There's a song there, uh, the lyric goes, God is not an old lady that needs your help uh, to, for her to cross the street. God can take care of himself. However, apologetics is more for, for humans than it is for God. So we need to understand that. That pressure is not ours to bear. God, God will endure. He is all-powerful. So it is more for humans. It exists because we live in a world full of belief systems. I believe our belief in Jesus Christ is unique to any other belief that exists. And I would argue that it is the only true belief. This world is full of positions in terms of what they believe is true. What is truth? What is truth? Some people say that there is no God. A lot of people say there are lots of gods. I talked to a Hindu priest uh, who told me that there are, there are over 300 million Hindu gods. Some people believe they are God. Those are the people we need to watch out for. Unless, of course, they do miracles, die on the cross, and resurrect again, then it's okay. But many people believe different things, and that is my point. Not everyone can be right, though. Not everybody can be right. One plus one has to equal two. It doesn't matter what your friends, teachers, scientists, TV shows, Facebook friends say. We have to come to the conclusion that there is, without a doubt, absolute truth. Absolute truth. One scientist said, no, 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 everything is relevant. Your truth is different than my truth. And then uh, the creation scientist said, are you absolutely sure? And, of course, the professor was... Does, does not answer that because he's like, well, no, not really. I'm not, I'm not sure about that. 
The, the truth is that without absolute truth, we are lost in a world of variables. We have nothing to stand on. In terms of apologetics, do you need to know facts that prove your faith in God? Absolutely not. Romans 8 tells us that the reality of the Holy Spirit has done something no one can refute. The anointing of the Holy Spirit, through the anointing of the Holy Spirit, you are 100% justified in believing the Bible, believing Scripture. That is something no one can, no one can disprove. A person may not know a single scientific philosophical fact that backs up their faith, but still is 100% justified in believing what they believe. To say, though, that apologetics is then useless because you don't necessarily need it, I don't believe that that is fair either. I believe that it's a powerful combination to hold the anointing of the Holy Spirit in one hand and the rational, relevant evidences of God in the other hand. And I believe that's important for us to know. You are then duly warranted to justify your faith. Parents, we need to have answers to the questions our, children's a- our children ask us. Statistics show that, that you are way more of an influence than a teacher uh, or a youth pastor could ever be. And that's not necessarily saying... You have to know all these answers. You have to, or else your, your kid's just going to get totally confused. That's not what I'm saying. If you don't know the answer to some questions, because of the, the, the schools are going to teach them something totally different than what we teach our kids here with the remix program and, and from the pulpit. But the, the, the least thing we could do is say, you know what, that's a great question, son or daughter. Let, let's go talk to Willie Jansen and see what he has to say because he's done a lot of apologetics and he may know the answer to that and direct us towards some resources. We are outnumbered, but we are not outmatched. We are outnumbered because there are way more evolutionists than creationists. I don't know if that's a shock to you. When I found that out, I got a little worried. Because, it's, because our human brains think in terms of quantity instead of quality. We think in terms of, oh, if there's more people who believe in this, where does that leave our creation views? Right? Because they outnumber us. Well, I'm here to submit to you that just because we are the minority does not make what we believe not true. And, I, and I'll outline that for us a little bit here. This statistic should not surprise us that there are more people who don't believe in, in God creating than, than naturalistic means. Now, and I'll explain that in a few different reasons. Okay? Number one, there are less Christians on earth than there are non-believers. There are way more non-believers. So that, that is the first thing we need to consider. Number two, conclusions are based upon presuppositions. I'll explain that a little bit. Your worldview affects the interpretation you have on evidence, right? Um, by the things that I've experienced in my life, I can take a look at that beautiful Mac computer. And I could say, wow, that's a nice design. Probably was a designer, right? Because everything in my life has shown me that there has to be a cause for everything. Someone had to have designed this pen or programmed it into a machine to to create it. That's my presupposition. I'll expound a little bit. 
There was a story uh, about this guy from the city decided to get some fresh air, so he hopped into his little, his little car and decided to scoot out of town and take a little drive uh, through, through the countryside. Well, it just so happened there was a farmer uh, delivering a calf. This cow was giving birth, and none of his other helpers were around. And he was there uh, giving birth to this calf. And, and, and so he knew he needed help. Um, uh, a cow can die if you don't use the, uh, uh, the, the correct method. And so he sees this car coming in the distance and says, yes. And runs over, flags the car down. The guy from the city pulled over. He's like, what's going on? What's going on? Come with me. I'll explain on the way. So he's like, Okay. And so then he sort of runs with this guy, and he, and he explains, and, and he didn't really have time to explain because the situation was right there. And with his help, <laughs> this unsuspecting city slicker is now looking at this situation. The calf is halfway out. He's like, whoa, a little bit more than a you know, breath of fresh air today. And so together, it was a success. The calf was born, and they were a mess. And so these two guys decided to walk back to the barn to get cleaned up. And the guy from the city was very quiet. And the farmer was like, oh, I wonder what's going on here. I might want to figure out what's happening here. So I said, so you just experienced something different. Um, Do you have any questions? And the guy said, I just have one question. How fast do you think that calf was going? Three of you got it. Just like the other service. That's okay. See, where you stand and what you experience affect the way you see the situation. The farmer knew the calf began in the cow and was being born. The guy came in the middle of the procedure. For all he knew, the calf ran straight into the back of the cow. And he had to release the calf. That's what he saw. Who was right? They were both looking at the same situation, and they both had two totally different perspectives on what was going on. And we would be naive to think that that doesn't happen in the real world. We see layers. We go to the Grand Canyon. We see layers. We look at the layers per Cambrian, and we, and, we, and we decide that, wow, look how fast these layers came on top of each other. That's, that's proving. That, that, that's, an, that's showing us that there was a flood that covered the whole earth when Noah was around. But to an evolutionist, say, oh, yes, 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 uh, millions and billions of years right here. It's, uh, it's uh, very intriguing, you know? And so we will both come to totally different conclusions, and we're both looking at the same thing. And, and it's important for us to know and respect that. Number three, just because we are the minority does not mean that we possess, that we don't possess the truth. Let me explain that a little bit. Galileo was a scientist hundreds of years ago, and he was one of the only scientists in the scientific community that, that said the earth is round. See, everyone at that time believed it was flat, right? The majority did not agree with him. You know, going to 19, let's say 1943, 1939, around that time, at the peak of the, the, the Nazi regime in World War II, you were to walk down the streets of Berlin, all you would see is swastikas. You would see people marching. The majority of the people um, were fighting for Hitler. Does that make the cause right? Absolutely not. 
Just because you're the minority does not mean you don't have truth. We'd say the same thing about scripture. Number four, the atmosphere of the scientific community is incredibly and disgustingly unbalanced on this issue. We need to know that. It is unbalanced. Teachers are only permitted to teach one perspective of the origins of life. I know, I was a pain in the butt to my teacher. I didn't mean respect, but I knew that what she was teaching in my geology class in high school was totally different than what the Bible teaches. And so she would start talking about how millions and billions of years are thrown out there. And I would always be the annoying kid to like bring balance to the force, raise my hand, and she'd be, Yes, Peter. Are you, uh, you know, because my voice is changing. Are you saying that the whole, we all came from rocks? From single-celled organisms, we all came from rocks? Peter, you can believe whatever you want to believe. She had this thing worked out. She said the exact same thing every time. You can believe whatever you want to believe. I just have to teach this. I understand that, miss. I apologize. I just need to let everyone else know there are more options on the table. Thank you, Peter. Don't you need to go to the washroom or something? Yes, I do, thanks. Yeah. I read a case involving a man by the name of Richard von Sternberg. I like that name. I'm trying to get uh, Jake Clausen to name his son that. With a name like Richard von Sternberg, you have to be smart. You don't really have a choice in the matter, right? You don't, you don't get, you know, if my name was Peter von, Sternberg, von Clausen, I'm sure I'd have a PhD in my name. He was a paleontologist that permitted a peer-reviewed article to be published in his journal. Okay? This was a peer-reviewed article, so it was, it was legit. At least he thought. Um, and the article was called The Smithsonian's Proceedings of the Biological Society of Washington. How's that for bathroom reading? And page 26 of the book that I read called The Spiritual Brain, uh, it goes on to say, this article was suggesting that the explosion of the complex life forms that occurred quite suddenly about 525 million years ago may, might best be explained by intelligent design. It's not saying it was intelligent design. It's just hinting towards maybe there's a better way of explaining how life came to be. Well, um, the editor, uh, Sternberg, didn't believe this theory, but he, but he was a wise man. He believed that uh, put, he, we need to put all the options on the table in order to get truth. And I would love to see our school board do this as well. The mere suggestion of an origin that included intelligent causation set off a huge uproar. Directed not at the author, who was geologist and intelligent design theorist, Steve Mayer, who is, who is, by the way, an incredible resource for apologetics. Pastor Ike has some of his uh, uh, DVDs. Um, it wasn't directed towards him. It was directed towards the editor, Mr. Von Sternberg. This is what, the, this is what happened. He was cross-examined about his political and religious beliefs by his employers. He was removed from his position and he was denied access to collections of fossils he had needed to, for his work as a paleontologist. Stripped him of everything. He didn't even believe it. The article didn't even say that this was true. It was just hinting towards it. 
This is how the scientific community reacts to ideas that don't align with evolutionary, naturalistic, and godless conclusions. Church, this is our backdrop. This is the attitude, this is the program, and this is the setting in which we get to spread the gospel. It's a very hostile environment. An environment I believe the gospel flourishes in. From my limited experience, I can tell you that we need to be creative, we need to be sincere, and we need to be connected to Scripture, to the Word of God, more now than ever, ever in history. We are littered with subcultures, media, and philosophies that can very easily be overwhelming. To make matters worse, we are experiencing an unprecedented number of young people leaving the faith today in our culture. The Barna Group, a nonpartisan research company, has found that almost 60% of young people ages 15 to 29 have left active involvement. That scares me. That scares me. More than half of our young people are leaving the church in today's culture in North America. These are, these are issues we're addressing as our youth ministry. How do we keep our teens connected with God? And one of the things we have identified is spoon-feeding gospel, not getting them involved is probably some of the worst things we can do as a church. And we're figuring out ways we can connect them better. Ironically, we live in, um, with this uh, huge need as well. Uh, we live in a time where, where Bible colleges are at their lowest attendance. Statistics show that if a person goes to Bible college, they will more likely be stick with their faith because they are mentored and they are trained in it. We need, we need to encourage our young people to go to Bible college. I know they make more money going to university. And I'm not saying don't send them to university. I'm not saying don't go for that career, but we need to put our priorities straight. The scripture, the holy word of God, is the most important, most sacred book, not in this country, not on earth, in the universe. It is the only thing that truly connects us to who God is. Now, speaking of the word of God, I'm going to be reading a little bit from 1 Peter 3.15. I just want to highlight some of the urgency for us to to um, up our game a little bit in terms of discipleship and in terms of informing our young people. First Peter chapter 3.15, it says here, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that, is, that you have. And then we usually cut it there and go on with life. Let's not cut it. Let's keep reading. But do this with gentleness and respect. Do this with gentleness and respect. So often, we cut that last part out. That's why I designed the bulletin, that little logo there, to have a child around the armor. I thought it was kind of an ironic uh, uh, image. But on the, on the front of the bulletin, I, I have that there to remind us that in terms of the way we relate to culture, we need to be wise as serpents and we need to be as gentle as doves. This is more of an attitude than it is anything. So often in apologetics, we fill our heads with so much information, we don't even know what to do with it. And so often, like a good North American, 
we decide to weaponize it. We take these truths, we even take the scripture, and we pack it into the shotgun of the way we relate to people in our workplaces, and we hammer it down. And I would argue with you, this is not gentleness, and this is definitely not with respect. When I was a teenager, and, and I first came to um, understand apologetics, I was ecstatic. I was so excited, it was scary. Me and my buddies would sit at my house, and we would watch apologetic videos together. And then we would pack up, drive to Windsor, hang out in chapters, and sit around the evolution section of chapters, waiting for innocent bystanders to come around, right? Flex our apologetic muscles, catch them off guard, right? And then we get that poor guy who would bring his latte, thinking he's just going to peacefully grab an evolution book and start reading it. Nope. Got some of these young guns here waiting to just blast them away using theology, using science. We had no idea what those terms were. I didn't know what circular reasoning, uh, how it related to uh, uh, fossils in, in comparison to layers of the earth, but I knew how to regurgitate it and throw it right at him. He didn't even know what I was saying. So I'm like, yes, win. Wrong. Lose. You may win the debate, but you have lost the soul. Scripture tells us that we need to come in the opposite spirit. If we're using anger, if we're using resentment, if we have something to prove, we're not doing it out of gentleness and respect. We do this by making the person, we can do this by making the person feel, feel stupid, inadequate, dumb. We cannot do this if you want to make a difference in people's lives. If you want to make the gospel real to people, you can't do that. We have lost before we even began. We need to stop using the world's standards and bring, and we need to start using God's standards for spreading the gospel. God's standards are much higher. Gentleness and respect. When I teach things like evolution and creation to teenagers, I try my best to teach the students to have respect for opposing views. The worst thing you can do is teach someone just give them a bunch of ammo and a gun and not teach them how to use it safely. We do this with theology all the time. We weaponize it. And I would argue that is a sin. Even today, for a junior high Sunday school, they were learning about Islam. And a lot of people would be like, oh, that's terrible. You should only be teaching from the Bible. We do teach from the Bible. We, we, we compare Islam. And last week, I, we, we learned about uh, Buddhism. We're learning about what other people believe, how they think, and how best to make the gospel relevant to them. Because we learn to understand them. We learn to respect them. We learn the do's and don'ts about how to spread the gospel more effectively with people like that. And we need to teach that there are wonderful, there are intelligent people on both sides of, of, of the position. We need to start thinking this way. I remember many years ago, I worked at a factory where I was debating uh, moral ethics with a Wiccan witch who happened to be bisexual. And I was trying to explain to her why being gay was wrong. So that was very interesting um, because, 
you know, we were totally different ends of the spectrum. Very, very long conversation. We spent like four hours at a packing line trying to figure out who is right or wrong in this issue. It, I got to the point where I realized I was getting nowhere with this girl. She was using totally different perspectives and mindsets that just didn't make sense to me. And so then I stopped and I told her, I said, wait, 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 hold on. Before you say anything, before I say anything, I just want to say, regardless of what happens here, I want you to know that I respect you. I don't believe in what you do and, 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 and all that other stuff. And, and you know that I think of things differently, but we're still going to be friends. And I respect you for standing up for something that you believe in, even if I don't think that that is right. It totally threw off her game. She was expecting me to come full force, double shotgun, and, and, and then she got that. She didn't know how to respond. And so we just, after that, we ended up having incredible conversations. And, and she ended up asking me questions about my faith after that. And I'm convinced to this day that if I would have just kept on firing at her, that she would have closed me off and I would have pretty much sealed the deal for her. Christians are hard-nosed people who come to every conversation with a closed fist. I, did not water the, I didn't have to water down the gospel, but I built a relationship with her for years, and we became very close friends. And it is possible to be very close friends to people who think totally different than you. Just look at Jesus. Who is he befriending? Tax collectors, drunkards, social rejects. God's standards are so much higher. The truth is, I believe in all my heart that the gospel is real, that the accounts in the Old Testament and New Testament are factual. Not just, I'm not just basing everything off of the anointing of the Holy Spirit, even though, according to Romans 8, that is the only thing I truly need. But I believe the evidences of God are oozing out of every element of creation. Simply, there isn't a better answer to life's questions than Christianity. When you connect with people that don't believe what you believe, first, build a relationship and understand their presuppositions. If you understand what the presuppositions are, then you can address. You can address where they're coming from and then make them more susceptible to accepting uh, the, the gospel. Because there are an incredible amount of people who believe in evolution, and we need to understand that. Where, where, where are they coming from? Both elements need faith, evolution and creation. I'm going to go through what what the majority of the uh, schools are teaching these days, and, and I'm going to explain uh, the, the thinking process of a Christian in, in terms of uh, what scriptures say to that and what science says to it. The majority of the scientific community believes that all life came out of random chance 3.6 billion years ago naturally here on Earth as a result of a, a big bang. But there are lots of theories to this. No one knows what exploded or how, but many scientists believe this version. Excuse me. Life on Earth started out 
with a single-celled organism, and, and through unbelievable luck, gained new genetic information over time, which, by the way, has never, ever been observed. Never. This is nothing short of a miracle, and I'll explain why. Cells are not easy things to, uh, to duplicate. Uh, you, you can't just create a cell. A cell needs a certain amount of components, just like a motor in an engine. It's like a, it's like a car. Scientists conducted an experiment in the last 10 years to see if they could strip a cell of all of its components as close as it could get, starting because they, have, they need to believe that they started from zero and, and ended up with something. So they decided to, like a car, take off the bumper, windshield, see how much they could survive and still have a working component here of a cell. While they did that, and the cell could not sustain itself underneath 397 genes. It needed 397 parts in order to work. Uh, because the cell needs a membrane, you need to feed the membrane, it, uh, you need the mitochondria, it's tagging protein, so on and so forth. So the simplest cell that they could make was 397 parts. And they needed to do that. They needed to jump from zero to 397. That's what needed to happen. Back billions of years, apparently. Obviously, we'd, uh, there's a lot of creationists who don't believe that. And, and I personally don't believe that either. But that is a huge leap of faith to believe that 397 parts of an engine can come together if you just throw them in the air. It's like me giving you a, a paintbrush with some paint on there and say, okay, now I'm going to give you a canvas, and with one stroke, I need you to paint the Mona Lisa. Good luck with that. Now that's faith. If there's anything that, that requires faith, that almost requires more faith than for me to say, I believe that something created something. God breathed information, breathed atoms into existence and everything that we've seen, pre-existing information, creating information. To believe the other theory would, believe, would state that something came from nothing. And they've never seen that happen. If I was to take a test tube, a sterile test tube, put the right amount of uh, liquid at the right amount of temperature, or the right amount of uh, acidity and uh, alkalinity, the right amount of salts, I created a perfect condition for a cell to exist. If I was to put a cell in there, it, it would have an awesome time, perfect conditions for a cell. If I was to take a needle and poke that cell so that all the life-giving stuff was to come out, nothing would happen. Life doesn't just make itself. Humpty Dumpty would not put himself back together again. Okay? Yet your secular schools teach children that a few amino acids dissolved in the ocean can create, healthy, uh, can create a healthy cell over time. That is our backdrop, and that is what we have to deal with. Never once have we ever witnessed it, but that is what's being taught. Now, I could... I could go on and on and on. I could talk about how in Scripture uh, we have 25,000 manuscripts as opposed to other, other reliable sources and, and how uh, some of the manuscripts are, uh, can be dated within 40 years of the actual events, putting them in the time of the eyewitnesses and, and, and how we have incredible justification to believe that what we believe in, and that history backs it up. But I'm going to submit to you today that the most 
powerful apologetic has nothing to do with the sciences, has nothing to do with history, but it has to do with your story. And I'm reminded of this over and over again. Last week we had a powerful, powerful service uh, where, where we heard testimonies and got to see people get baptized here. Hearing testimonies is my favorite part of any service. There's no, there's no sermon that can top the, the rawness of what Christ has done in your life. Your story, your testimony can never be refuted, it can never be argued, and it can never be disproved. You can't disprove what God has and is doing in your life. That is the most powerful thing you can tell anybody. I remember working at a, at a different factory, and, and I was working with this guy. I'd been, me and my other Christian friend were building a relationship with him, and uh, and I spent months uh, going through why evolution was false and creation was, it was real and, and how the Bible was reliable. And, and I spent so much time into it. And then eventually I was just telling him how awesome it feels to have a purpose and how God had designed me. And he said, man, man, I really wish I had that. And I'm like, well, you can. If you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and dedicate your whole life to him, you can. So we said the sinner's prayer. And then he told me something I'll never forget. He said, Peter, <laughs> you know, um, it wasn't your creation and evolution talks that actually sold me. It was the fact that you spent months cultivating a relationship with me, and I could see what God was doing through you. You and your coworker. I see that stuff. I see that stuff way beyond any of those facts. That's fine and dandy. But what really spoke to me is your heart pouring into me. That is what we need. So my challenge to you is how are you taking what God has already done, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, and how are you affecting people around you? Are you using it to show people the hope that is inside you? Because that is what it's talking about. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, Lord, just humbled at your majesty, considering creation, all the epic mountains, the depths of the ocean, the vastness of of space and time. And God, what it really comes down to, what really gives us the the perspective is the life that you've given us the grace that makes absolutely zero sense to us. In deserving of of hell, you have come and replaced it with heaven. You signed over our name. And even though there's so many different opposing views and different perspectives, God, we pray that you would be the real to us, that you would be our presupposition, that we would approach every scenario, every heartbreaking situation through the lens of grace, through the lens of love, and that apologetics would not be simply just a bunch of facts that we fire at people, but God, it would be a life that you have given us. And may that be the ultimate testimony and testament to what you have done for us. Thank you, Lord. And thank you doesn't even cut it, God. Thank you for what you have, are, and will do through our lives, God. We pray these things in your name. Amen.